Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Alex Tarrand. Alex is the COO and co-founder of Stinger. Stinger facilitates licensing of music in gaming and the metaverse. He's going to share all of his experience working with labels, working with publishers, working with metaverse platforms, some do's and don'ts, and how you can do it. Let's talk to Alex. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the The DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome my new friend, Alex Tarrand. By the way, am I pronouncing your last name correct? That's good. That works. First try? That's me. Nailed it. Nice. I do know how to pronounce your last name because we recently spoke on a panel at the NAM show together, which you provide provided many insightful insights. So it was great to see you in person then and great to have you on the show now. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. That was really fun. That was my first NAM show. And it is, there's a lot of sounds. That is the most <laughs> sonically intense conference I've ever been to. Oh my gosh. Did you walk around the convention floor? I did. There was from instruments to artists to management. Uh, it was great. The Dolby Atmos station was very, very cool. Yeah. So for, for, for our audience who are like, what are you guys talking about? The NAM show is the world's largest music industry convention. And because one of the companies I work with, PRG, Production Resource Group, is so influential as the largest entertainment production company in the world, the directors at NAM reached out to PRG. They said, we need a new panel that is innovative, that is interesting. How do we make this year different from last year? And they reached out to me and they said, John, esports. And through some conversations, we got to the, the theme of the mashup of music, gaming, and the metaverse. And our good friend, Zach Hahn at Super League Gaming, a partner of PRG, graciously made the introduction and said, John, Alex is somebody that you need to know for many, many reasons. And it turns out that is the truth. So Zach's the man. I started working with Zach at Disney around 2008, I think. A long oh, wow. time. He's been, he's been in games as well. Yeah. Day once. He's the man. I will say about the NAM show, the craziest thing to me was they literally have every type of booth in this enormous Anaheim Convention Center of all sorts of music. So you're going from the latest speakers and lights from production companies all the way to violins and pianos and guitars. And then you've got all this technology. And for me, I was just like walking around dazed and confused. And I found the booth with the softest carpet. Like once I stepped on it, I was just like, (laughs) my feet are so happy after all the walking I've done today. Oh, so I, that felt good. Yeah. I think if there's one insight people can take away from this podcast, it's if you are activating a booth at a convention, do the super soft car- carpet, do the extra cush. That'll, that'll bring people and it will extend their stay in your space. It's a hidden feature. I saw a stand that was that was literally comprised of hundreds and hundreds of drum cymbals. And I saw somebody accidentally back up into it. Like it was uh, a comedy from the fifties. It was, no it was fantastic. <laughs> incredible. Well, 
before we lose the audience who is like, what the heck? I usually listen to leaders and sports entertainment marketing business esports and what the heck are these guys talking about this is an expert in the gaming world specifically music in gaming and the metaverse and alex i learned so much from you on that panel and what i love about what you're doing is you are on the cutting edge of what's next and that is these virtual events that are happening in the metaverse that are happening in games you know how are bands getting into video games how are video games bringing together you know music from emerging artists and you're at the center of all this so why don't you first tell us what is stinger of course stinger is a middleware software platform and we are a b2b arm of the labels so we work with universal uh sony warner believe and others to ingest their catalogs and we try to do deals across whole catalogs and make it for use in gaming and across the metaverse. And we specifically do this in a way where games and metaverse creators can make money on it as opposed to spend money. I think one of the challenges to date is that music licensing, to be honest, any sort of IP licensing for a video game is a pretty expensive prospect. And expensive for in a couple of ways, not only with money, with MGs, but also as a function of time. You have to have specialized legal. You have to have the right folks who know how to do this. And it can take you anywhere from two quarters, probably at the fastest, to about a year. Mm. And at the end of that effort, you have specifically what you want. But if you want to expand that catalog, you have to continuously go through that effort again and again and again. And as a game maker, game maker for many, many, many years, I... It was frustrating. So what you land up doing is like any piece of art or specifically a game where you're creating a universe with its own rules, you have in your head a soundtrack that you want. It's like a filmmaker, right? You have something, you have an idea of what you want in there. And unless you have a really robust team that's specialized who does this, you're probably not going to get it. Or rather, it can be challenging to get it. So we break down those barriers. Your game, your... a metaverse creator. If you're a metaverse itself and you want to get music in, we can do it and and have ways for you to make money on it so that you can oh. it can not be a cost center. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. Eyeshaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my Eyeshaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for Eyeshaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your eye shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC drop branded eye shaker at eyeshaker.com forward slash DLC drop. Save 20% on all eye shaker products with the discount code DLC drop. I have an immediate introduction for you post this <laughs> excellent episode that will be mutually beneficial which i am writing down now 
and the audience, I'm sure, will soon see the the fruit of this labor, and we'll go back to this episode and say that was the moment. Uh. <laughs> this is awesome. So, who is your target market at, at Stinger? If I'm listening to this and I'm whether I'm a metaverse platform, a game, a band, a label, who is the right person who you're looking to connect with? I mean, the long-term goal is we just want to get, we want to reach as many gamers as possible. Mm -hmm. But our real clients, you know, if you can say uh, Stinger has target clients, is the games, is the actual game makers themselves. Make it easy, take away all the barriers to be able to get music inside of the titles. But long-term, the vision is to just get music in front of people in all the places where they should have music, right? If you I mean if you're living your social life in a meaningful way in the in the metaverse, which a lot of people are doing right now, then music is just inherently a part of like the social human experience. So we need to have that incorporated far and wide. That's a good point. I guess in the past, you would say, you know, like car manufacturers or the radio stations, right? Is it like what you're saying here is we experience music as we go through our daily lives. And so what has changed is now that we're spending a lot more time in playing video games and in virtual environments than in the past. So that is now the new radio station or what have you. Is Do I have that right? That's exactly right. It's the new DSP is your game. The mm-hmm. game that you're in is the new radio. It's the new DSP. And because it's a virtual universe that has its own rules, every single game, right? Every single metaverse. Yeah. You can do neat stuff. You can do stuff in there that you just can't do out here and, and you know, atoms, the things that we're that we're that we're used to. So I think I think there's just an enormous amount of opportunity. Yeah. I first became aware of I don't want, what is the right term? I don't want to say real music the way we say real sports, right? Like what, what is the right term to refer to music from a band rather than like arcade music? Oh, you could say like recorded music, Okay, recorded music. I'll add that to my, my little terminology tool belt, if you will. Um, So with recorded music, so a while back, I I was associate producer on a documentary of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And mm-hmm. shout out to Ralph D'Amato, who's the executive producer. And I found him on a website, found out he was doing this documentary. And I was like, how can I help? And so we ended up working together. One thing that I didn't realize, I've been a skateboarder for a very long time. So of course, I played Tony Hawk growing up. I was very familiar with it. What I didn't realize, that was one of the first video games where they used recorded music rather than arcade music and the benefit for those artists that these gamers who are playing the game and repeating a level and you hear that same soundtrack over and over and over those are now embedded in the memories and the culture of a generation who you know millions and millions of people who played this game so i can see it's such a benefit for these artists to be front and center in these video games. Oh, absolutely. God, I was a Sega kid and that was the first console I had that blew my mind. I remember it said like in huge block letters, 16 bits, like the the most amazing thing <laughs> in the world. Blew everybody's blew everybody's, you know, eyeballs out of their sockets and it was the EA Sports Suite mm-hmm. and yeah. Crazy Taxi. Those okay. two had actual music in them 
Uh, Alex, the term is recorded music. It's uh, recorded music. Recorded Recorded music. The student has become the teacher. Oh man, I'm the padwan now. Oh, you did. You got me. It was just amazing. Like that crazy taxi soundtrack still sticks with me because it was so beautifully of an era so beautifully and it drove discovery too i learned about some new stuff in there some new folks in there and it was it was awesome you know so help me understand a little bit about like the dynamics of music and gaming so we talked a little bit about okay this video game you just mentioned i talked about tony hawk pro skater but i think about what one of the topics on our panel that we spoke about were virtual events right so marshmallow and Fortnite, obviously travis scott ariana grande these very impactful virtual concerts but can you help our audience understand okay we're here today we're like you said this the you know gaming is the new dsp for music how did we get here Gosh, that's uh, such a good question. I think over COVID, a lot of people were trapped indoors because it was an, an apocalypse of sorts. And and I think some people were, were in, a, in a creative space in the right place at the right time. I think we saw a wave of mocap-based events, right? And, and you listed them. I don't even know if we... Nobody who's listening to this isn't aware of some of those big ones that, that came through. The tricky thing, and those were fantastic. Not only were they phenomenal executions, they looked beautiful, they were innovative. I am not a bad thing to say about it. They were beautiful. I think they actually pushed the industry forward. From a game development perspective, I'm a game maker, that's costly. That cost me engineers, could be nine to 10 engineers, probably for just under a year. If I if I take a guess, somewhere between a half a year and a year mm. to create the infrastructure to be able to support that single event. Was it incredibly successful in terms of concurrent viewers? Yeah, absolutely. All of them, actually. I think perhaps there's a degree of diminishing returns now because because there's been a lot of them. But audiences want this. That's it. It proved the demand, you know, and it gave a compelling experience. But from a game maker's perspective, spending a year creating a mechanic that only has a single use is really tough. (laughs) Right. Because yeah. you spend your time, not only from the product management team, but to the developers and then eventually the marketers who are letting your audience know about this. You spend your time making mechanics that can that can a be fun for your audience and b drive some revenue for a while, for a substantial period of time. And to do all that work for something that evaporates at the end is a tricky prospect. And on top of that, there are probably some some pretty substantial artist fees. Mm-hmm. What I think we're going to see more of is low-fi versions of that that accomplish similar things. What I loved about those experiences was, I'm and I attended a lot of them, I'm inside of an environment with my friends mm-hmm. watching this amazing experience that, that I literally, literally at that moment cannot get anywhere else. Yeah, And I think there's ways to do that without it being super expensive. You know what's a great example and one that isn't talked about enough is Niantic in Pokemon Go. They had a very lo-fi version of it. It was billed as a virtual concert. So Post, like a big Pokemon fan. And I think now he's doing a lot with Wizards of the Coast. Big fan of Magic the Gathering as well. Yeah. And they created a concert that was a VOD. It was about, I don't know, I think it was like a 12 or a 14 minute VOD 
where hosts became animated and went to the Pokemon universe. Right. And what they did is they released it at a very specific time. They worked with YouTube to get that launched. I believe it was YouTube on their on their channels. They whitelisted it. Mm-hmm. That's an effort you have to go through to get music on a lot of these larger platforms, the social platforms. And from a game perspective, super light lift. All they did is send out push notification in that message. And I was following it on App Annie and I was following it in the charts. Massive game, killing it, still killing it. Pokemon and Niantic are just so amazing. Yeah. And they landed up moving from, I think, top 200 downloads where they had been for, for a strong period of time into top 50 and then into top number one for the first time in a long time. So were you able to go in-game like Fortnite and experience it, or were you just watching a video VOD of of post in-game? You were pushed out to an external platform. I believe you were pushed out to YouTube. And and the video was wild. It was this song medley with a post doing a cover of a Hootie and the Blowfish song at one point. It was it was pretty wild. But the think about that from the effort of the game. It was pretty lo-fi. Mm-hmm. It accomplished exactly what they wanted to accomplish. It was a limited time event, but the level of effort and the lift they did compared to right. working with an artist, a management team to get them in a mocap suit and build out an environment. These are two completely different efforts that accomplished very similar goals. So I think seeing, I think seeing games incorporating a lot of live events and live music but also incorporating exclusives and things that are not super difficult from a technical infrastructure, but still provide a meaningful exclusive experience for their audience. We're yeah. going to see a lot more of this. Well, I think that's a great point because you can go full Travis Scott, right? But it's like, wait a minute, how much can I pull back from that and still get either the same level of viewership or similar level of viewership, or at least enough to justify my effort, right? Because to your point, it's like, I'm going to work for a year, year and a half to do all this stuff. And it's amazing. And it's a great case study. And it's on the tip of everyone's tongue and all the things. But from a business standpoint, that's not something you can necessarily replicate over and over again. If you're trying to, I don't know, at least very easily. And one of the answers actually is PRG, who brought us onto that panel, they, they produced the Fortnite concert series. And so the answer to that was, hey, this was also during COVID, was how can we enable artists who PRG is working with to perform in-game? And so it was like exactly what you're saying. We can't do this Travis Scott, Ariana Grande thing over and over again. So on PRG's XR stage which for the audience who doesn't know, an XR stage is essentially, think of a green screen, but the floor and the walls and a ceiling, if you have one, are LED instead of just green paint. And there's a coordinated camera system. So you can essentially put somebody in any world you want. And so the Fortnite concert series are live musicians. It's not an avatar. It's video of a live person inside the game. And they were able to work this out with Fortnite where there's a place you go where that's happening and you can witness it. And so that's an example of lower fi. Now, an XR stage production is still, you know, I don't know if you call that light lifting, but it's lighter lifting than what we saw with Travis Scott. That's so smart because it requires a single development effort. It yeah. was one development effort to create that environment that can show that video. And then it's programming. 
it's live ops. Everything yep. else, it sounds like what, what was being done on your side was server side elements that are just fed in there. And yeah. you, if you have all the feeds set up, all you're doing then is amending things on the back end. This is so much easier to program against. And this kind of leads into what I think is going to start happening. I think games are, in, in fact, probably the most sophisticated digital property around live, uh, live ops. It's what they call it, live operations, right? Mm -hmm. They have teams, calendars, reproducible events, and they're incredibly scientific around how they run these events to make games feel alive consistently. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think music is going to become a part of live operations. I think yeah. having artist drops, and that's even going to extend out into the blockchain NFT space. I think having artist exclusives, listening parties, reproducible infrastructure so that you can have that section of people's lives, which is very emotional and very engaging for them, be something that is portable and fun and meaningful and unique inside the games they play. Well, and one thing that we talked about on that panel too is that you know during COVID, you had solely a virtual event because you quite literally could not host a live event with a crowd, right? But I can tell you firsthand knowledge, these artists want to play in front of crowds. Like to be on that XR stage and to be facing just a bunch of texts and cameras, Justin Bieber isn't having the best time doing that versus when he could be in front of tens of thousands of fans in an arena, right? And so what I think is coming, and I'm, I'm really interested in your perspective here, is you have your live event, the tens of the thousands of fans in the stadium, but then you're augmenting that with in-game or in-metaverse virtual concert that can then reach millions of people who are not there physically. Agree, disagree, yeah. different perspective? Same page. I'm on the same page. And I think look at it, it's just it's just looking at the other side of the coin. Looking yeah. at it from an artist's perspective, what is meaningful from them insofar as I can derive, right, is increasing the volume of streams against your songs. Your existing catalog that you have, as well as the new hits that are trickling out. And I don't see some artists still release full albums. Others trickle out hits into the DSP and yeah. then work to uh, through marketing channels, social channels to push and drive those individual songs up the charts. I actually see from the recorded music industry side <laughs> that, that they are starting to look at gaming and, and the metaverse as a part of their media plans. And right. it makes sense, right? Your people have been incredibly enthusiastic about pushing content, pushing themselves and pushing their, their media, pushing their, their artistic creations through social media because they can cluster a meaningful amount of engaged audience there. You mm -hmm. can even quantify exactly how much that audience is because on any given platform, there's a counter that tells you how many people you're reading and there's tools that you can view that show you how many people your posts reach. So you can you can measure these things and, and, and improve these metrics over time. Games are no different. If you are releasing yep. a song and you're releasing it into a game that has 10 million monthly active users, Sure, there's probably a sliver of Venn diagram of crossover audience that you'd be hitting anyway, mm -hmm. but I'm willing to bet that there is an enormous amount of audience that are new to what you're oh. releasing. 
I I guarantee you that Travis Scott earned far more young fans than pre Fortnite, right? And everybody's referring to his latest hit as the Fortnite song, <laughs> which I don't know how he feels about that, but I'm pretty sure he loves the streams and the downloads and the new the new fans. I will say, you know, it's a great point that not only are you reaching millions more people with an event but you also have that data opportunity typically live events are a black hole from a data perspective now that's improving with you know some vendors right who are providing solutions to that but yeah if you're in the game you're in the metaverse you have to log on digitally there's a lot more data for you to retarget and and turn that person into not just a one-time listener but a lifelong fan that's an excellent point because from a in-game perspective, you can show exactly the number of streams of your right. songs, the exact number of total and concurrent people and unique people who heard it. And if there's a purchasable element against it, like a download DLC element, you can show exactly how many people purchased it. And then using a pretty light layer of data science, uh, you should be able to look at things like the billboard charts using the timestamp of the event, sort the signal from the noise and see exactly how far it moved you up in the streaming charts. And that is really compelling. Yeah. I, I, I think to anyone who is interested in driving, driving streams, driving a particular digital KPI. Well, help me understand something else too, because we're talking a lot about the metaverse and in game what are some of the differences pros and cons things to consider whether you're in a game like fortnite or roblox or whether you're on a metaverse platform oh gosh great question and it's tough because you know you can ask a lot of game makers and they'll say that metaverse has been around for a while it's an mmo essentially yeah gosh you ask folks like linden labs who are the pioneers of this i mean they made second life gosh 20 years ago right and it's still thriving so this this concept is not new it's just become popularized and the adoption is wide and it's in it's it's in the public now we all know about it there's there's articles the latest gq episode is a, a, a magazine the issue is about this it's i just think it's cool to say to metaverse and i feel very innovative and cool when i say it so if i said that versus second life you know then i'm feeling a little outdated i'm feeling like i'm yesterday's news you know i'll tell you there's a lot of people who are who are in the web three space who are hopping on board this metaverse train there's the breadiverse there's the cheeseiverse um, oh wow you I lost mean, me at cheeseiverse <laughs> my friend <laughs> <laughs> it's about two this is the wild west man it's the wild west but yeah i think the differences between the two are one there may not be a lot of differences between the two there are games that exist inside the metaverse this is how i personally view it Okay. Metaverse tends to be an engine, a game, essentially an engine, right? Like Unity or Unreal. Yep. And as opposed to having to be a very skilled coder to build on top of it, it is 
created as such that it opens up the creator audience hmm. to be much, much broader. So to be able to be a creator on Roblox, there are far less barriers to entry than being a creator on top of, say, Unity, where you actually need a background in, in coding or an enormous amount of patience and a lot of YouTube tutorials <laughs> to yeah. be able to make something meaningful. And within that, I think we're starting to see some different stuff emerge where on the game side, I can at least say for us, the way that people are leveraging the music in terms of radio and emotes, it is wildly different use case to use case. Mm. If you just give game makers tools, yeah. they will do things with those tools that you never imagined in right. a great way. I mean that in an absolutely yeah. great way. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that music within the metaverse environments, let's take some of the, the dominant environments and ones that are emerging. So in terms of dominant ones, let's look at Roblox as being an example of one of those. And, and in terms of emerging, let's look at Sandbox as being an example of one of those. The, what is happening on both of them is very similar. Hmm. So in Roblox, there, but with slight differences, Roblox, what I'm seeing is these creators make big, robust game experiences. I mm -hmm. think Sega released a Sonic Land that is incredibly robust. It is just a big, beautiful Sonic world that sits inside of the game. And this is amazing. This is an amazing thing. That shows that it's literally a game engine. Inversely, let's look at Sandbox where people are buying up land and depending on who purchases that land, the space around it becomes more valuable. If right. you want to try to buy next to Snoop Dogg's plot of land, you pay a 4X premium. So what that's done is created that parcel of virtual land. It has now become the Hollywood Hills, essentially. Right. And I'm seeing brands. Thanks, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I know. Hey, man, whoever got in there early, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're pretty happy. That's true. Good point. But in a game, it's an incredibly curated experience, right? You you're going there typically for a single thing, and there are all these tutorials that walk you through it. In the metaverse, it can be a little different. There's so much content to sort through. And just for instance, look at how Sandbox is laid out. There is no shopping district. There right. is no music row like Nashville. It there is, probably will be close to Snoop Dogg's house. Potentially, potentially, but it's very, it's sort of a first come first serve basis and it's growing organically like a real city. And I think that's a part of their ethos, which is very interesting. Yeah. So I have two things that come to mind and we'll tackle the one closer to your point first, which is captive audience or audience that is essentially already there. So if I'm an artist, why I'm interested in doing an event in Fortnite or Roblox or something like that is because you have millions of players, millions of users who are already there. And so I am going to the audience, right? Like most of the people who are in Fortnite for Travis Scott would have been playing Fortnite anyway, right? Now, did they drive more because this thing is happening and they really marketed it? Of course. But the difference in my mind, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong in my thinking here, but in the metaverse is saying, okay, like I don't have to worry about the complexities of or politics or what have you of a specific game, I'm going to this kind of, I don't know if white label is the right term, but you know, more un, not unbiased. What, what am I looking for here? A platform that is not based on a game, right? But now I have to pull people to me. 
And so yes. that, and then the other thing that I think that it would be more of an argument for the metaverse and tell me if I'm wrong once again here, but is IP issues. Is my life more simple if I'm doing metaverse platform versus in-game from an IP perspective? Because we know very well, especially in the esports space, these publishers own the IP of that game. Do I now have a more complicated circumstance of owning my content if I'm doing something in a game versus if I'm just doing it on a more white label type of a platform? That's a great question. I think I'll address the the first half and and then the second half around what I think around the IP rights. The first half is I think both of them have their different strengths in terms of being able to use branded IP. The metaverse, you're right. Like you, you have the ability to kind of create from scratch. Look at like the the Snoop Dogg universe, or in fact, some of the labels themselves are just going in there and getting land and creating experiences around it. Now, do you have to create something that is evergreen and programmable? Yes. I think you need game mechanics that when there is no programming are still meaningful and fun to play. And then you need to create a real cadence of cool things to, for people to go in there and, and, like any venue, right? Like any concert venue, be able to go in and and see on a regular basis. Inside of a game, the the strength or a more traditional style game is narrative. So you could potentially, because there a lot of these games have their own worlds and narrative built out, there's opportunity to weave the artist, the activation yeah. the music into a pre-built narrative which is kind of cool. There's also, I would say, as I'm being the pessimist to your optimist here, I would also say there's also the requirement, right? So from an artist's perspective, I might say, I don't want to be a Fortnite character. I don't want to be part of that concept. I don't want to look like the avatars in Roblox, right? I have this very different concept that is my artistic expression. And so that could be a little bit pros and cons would you agree or are you thinking about that a little differently no you're absolutely right you have two different creative visions you have somebody both sides are are protective around the creative ip and the brand that they've built and now you have to meaningfully find a way to mesh those together i think that's where the fun can be but also uh, absolutely absolutely there's challenges involved in that right because the sometimes the styles mesh and sometimes they don't. And I think that's really where the art comes in the matchmaking, making sure right. that you find an artist who really does fit the ethos, the attitude, not just the demographic, like is a real true puzzle piece fit with the, with the game and, and the environment yeah. on, the met, on the IP licensing side, that is a little bit more challenging. Even the metaverses have very similar issues where okay. the music, the IP, all of that has to be cleared. And although there could be more opportunities for the creators who build on those platforms to generate revenue from them, similar IP issues exist. Mm-hmm. You still have to be very, very cognizant of the IP owners. Okay. Well, one thing I want to touch on here, we've got about 20 minutes and... I could talk to you forever. I could always already tell. So I know it's easy to go along here. One thing, one of the feedback pieces I heard from some of the people who watched our, our two panels, we did kind of the cultural dynamics, do's, don'ts, examples. And then we had a second one, which was this is how you technically do it, which was with our friend Berto Mora of All of It Now, who has a partnership with PRG. So I want to talk a little bit about 
how do we actually do this so that people listening aren't just hearing, oh, now I know about this, but now I just have more questions. <laughs> so walk me through, the, and let's just do two different targets, if you will. So let's start with if I'm on the artist side. If I'm on the artist side, and I want my recorded music, which is the proper term we learned today, in a game or in metaverse, whatever, and do I call you? Do I do something else? How, how am I making that happen? Good question, because that path is, is a little different. There is there are ways for independent artists to get there to get intermeshed with games, but it tends to be a little bit of a, a longer road, and it tends to be more direct personal connections that can lead you to that. Okay. I don't want to discourage independent artists from from doing this because I do think it's possible, but I think that re- that is more reliant on your individual network inside okay. of the, the gaming space. However, through the existing you know, label and publishing structures, all of them have some independent arm against them. Yeah. And what I would say is it will be easier from a promotional, from an access perspective, and from an IP rights perspective to go through the existing, let's say, label infrastructure to, to go into games. So it so, sounds like you're saying talk to your label and talk, talk tell your them label. your interest in getting into game and then let them utilize their networks and their connections to then help you with that. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. Yes, because those labels are tied into a lot of different entities and even independent labels. It can be folks like us, like Stinger, on the games and the metaverse side. It can be companies like Pelotons of the world. And you can get your access, your music into these live elements in the fitness category, which is absolutely exploding. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. This is huge. This is huge. So I would say be open to these live digital experiences, but don't necessarily have a limited view of what that is. Work with your labels. And if they are an independent label, they still likely have access and infrastructure in there. And they can help connect you to the right folks to get you inside of games, but also they can ensure that your your rights and the publishing against your music is cleared for those particular platforms because right. often artists don't have their own their their rights exclusively on whether that's on the label side or on the publishing side they go through an intermediary and there's reasons they do this right they want yeah. the pr muscle they want the mgs that are offered there are positive things around this but it is so much easier to go through the existing infrastructure and then leverage have them reach out to folks like a Stinger or like a Peloton or like, God, uh, there's there's a bunch of, you know, Steezy is a great example of this too. And, and a lot of these companies as well have relationships with these metaverses. Look at Warner's relationship with Sandbox right now and look at some of the larger labels relationship with some of the other dominant metaverses that are out there. I think that's personally, I think that's the way to go because then you're really, you know you're talking to the right people and you know your music's going to be clear on those platforms. Awesome. So when we go to the other side of it, if I am a video game publisher or maybe I'm a metaverse platform, and you can tell me if these are separate or if they can be spoken as the same entity, what are my action steps? Am I, I know that's your target market. So am I, once again, am I calling you? Am I taking different steps than that? Shameless plug. Yeah, please call us. I mean, and we treat metaverse and games as, the, as one and the same. To be honest, for us, it's no difference from a from a licensing perspective, and we can help find ways to get not only the music 
in there, but also really interesting personalized things like music emotes and get artist activations. We're actually looking at creating and launching a platform that will specifically allow game devs to come apply and if they're accepted, we'll go out there and find these artist activations and do it for them and wow. even subsidize it potentially because we just, our mission is to see more music out into gaming in the metaverse. Now, if there are very specific use cases that you have that fall outside of an in-game use, let's go, I'm thinking of something like a trailer inside of a video game. You have this beautiful trailer that you've created for your MMO and you want to overlay a piece of music on it. That requires a very specific right. That is a sync license. In that instance... A what kind um, of license was that? A sync license, okay. where you're syncing the music specifically and forever to this visual work. It's the exact same type of license that exists for film okay. when you're using recorded music inside of a movie. That requires reaching out directly to the labels and publishers. And there are avenues for this. The only thing I would say is that those cues can be a little bit long. So be very deliberate about what you want. Be incredibly descriptive about what you want. And try to do your homework and research on who owns the label rights to it and who owns the publishing rights to it so that you're not spinning wheels and you know exactly which direction, which entities you need to reach out to to get this particular song you want into your game. There's also contractors you can do this, like like law firms that can specialize in, in this for you as well. Got it. So experience is the best teacher. You have a lot of experience. Not many people have experience in this space. So what are some of the missteps that you see people making or what are some of the good things, the do's that we want people to be able to replicate that you've experienced throughout this? Good question. I would say the biggest misstep is just trying to use any music you want and seeing what happens. <laughs> this is you mean somebody owns that and will sue you to hell and back? Well, it's tough. I mean, I see a lot of game makers, and let's just say people making general applications, right? Sure. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to do this artist a favor and, <laughs> and get a snippet of their music and use it over my content. Hey, if you want to do me a favor, lie. pay me. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. What, what great promotion for them. Cash How in hand is the greatest favor. Exactly. Yep. That's like going to your friend who's an artist and be like, you know what? I'm going to do you a solid. You can play my party. Well, doesn't that sound awesome? I'm going to give you the right. All the right people will see party. it. All Think the of right, all the right people are going to be there. Yeah. Don't you don't you want to get in on this? Like, man, you got to pay artists. Come on. Yep. Like they got to earn a living and what you're doing in that scenario is one, to me, you're just openly saying, I'm not going to pay this this artist for the thing they've created. I think it's and called two, theft, right? Is yeah, that the technical term? Yeah. We learned a second theft. term today. <laughs> <laughs> Recorded is, music. Technical term. Theft. We're learning all sorts of things. Yeah. And you, and you know, you are going to upset people with that. And they are not good people to upset. I would not... Like one of the reasons as an artist you sign with a label to publishers, they aren't there to be the muscle and they are there to protect you. And if they find that somebody is just using something illegally, they're going to be really upset with you. And that is regardless of how big you are. If you are really small, if you are really big, it is somebody's job to 
find these things and be upset about it. And yeah, exactly. You don't want, (laughs) you don't want that anger thrown your way. It's no good. So even if it's hard, do it right. Do it right the first time because it will avoid headaches and it'll damage relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. There are really big social platforms right now that have damaged these relationships across the recorded music industry. And there are multi-year consequences to this. Like, do it right from the outset. Absolutely. And, and, and you will save headaches in the long run. And there are ways to shortcut it. I mean, hey, man, we're happy to help you shortcut it if that's what you need. And, and there's even other services out there that can that can help you shortcut it. I think if you are out of the gaming sector and you're like a new application, look at Adapter. Adapter says, hey, startup, I know you don't have a lot of money to, to, to go out and get this music. We'll help you get it for a period of time in a way that you can afford. There are people out there who can help you do this, but don't... <laughs> Don't just try to go for it. That's like just that's like just casually robbing a bank. Don't don't do that. Thank you for helping our our audience avoid a lot of headaches there. What are some of the things that you've seen done well? As uh, you know, not a lot of people have done this for a very long time. So, what are some things that we can benchmark? Oh, the things that have been done well in the space. I would say, I would say, building out these really interesting persistent experiences who's a company who does it incredibly well look at mba 2k Mm. they they are treating music like live ops they have artist activations that are coming in on a regular basis they have new music that's incorporated and this is difficult because they're they're doing this in the old-fashioned way they're having new music coming in on a very regular basis yeah. and they are using that to drive the narrative of the game and give players new fun experiences every time they come in that is a company who's knocking it out of the park nice. like this and i think they're seeing i think they're seeing monetary dividends as a result of this strategy was it easy to set up no but but are they are they killing it in this regard Absolutely. And I think getting a regular cadence, not only getting the infrastructure in place, but getting a regular cadence against that's meaningful is good. Look at look at the, the Fortnite concert series. Exactly right. we were talking about earlier. Another fantastic example where the infrastructure was put in place and now you're just programming and making cool experiences around it. I agree. Let's let's talk lastly, one more thing is just represent recognizing that this is a mutually beneficial situation between publishers slash metaverse and music, right? There's a push pull here that it doesn't just benefit one side and, but it's benefiting both. Talk a little bit about how that dynamic is mutually beneficial. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, going back to that Travis Scott example, there are articles about what happened to his to Travis on the billboard charts after that concert. It is yeah. quantifiable that his streams went up and he got a new audience. And it was amazing for the game. It was all over games press. It was phenomenal. How often do you get 12 and a half million concurrence? It's insane. That's sort of yeah. overwhelming actually. So I think I think both sides are very open to this relationship. I can tell you because we are getting artists 
through labels approaching us to do activations inside of games, actively excited about it. We are getting games who, I, I think the biggest hurdle for games is just the idea that you can do this. Sort of impossible. It was, it was very difficult, it was very expensive. It's not that way anymore. It can be done. It can actually be done. And I think as games start to become more comfortable with this, there is a lot of opportunity around doing these mutually beneficial, co-branded, really fun releases inside of the games that are that are something new, that are that are something unique. And from a games perspective, look at how many parts of the LTV chain you drive with this. Hmm. If you have regular programming over a series, we're doing an activation with the game and we're going to drop an, ex- an album exclusively inside of this game in small drops over six months. So now if you're fans of that music and fans of this game, you have a material reason to come back for six months. So that's the lifetime part of LTV, right? And if you're pairing that with really interesting things like like emotes or even virch, even like 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 a piece of virtual merchandise around that event, that's the that's the V portion of value. You're driving ARPU and you're driving revenue against these initiatives. So I think there's, if you're creative, a lot of different ways you can leverage this. And also for games that are really mature, that have been out for a while, and they've iterated all left and right, and they're tapped out on the IP front, in that purchase front, and they're tapped out on the advertising front. There are new ways, like music, to be able to promote the game and to help monetize the game for your audience in a way that they like, in a way that's creative and like exciting for them. So I think both sides are going to see a lot of benefit from this. And my hope is that more and more and more of these activations, they just become normal. It's not so much unique and new anymore. It's just expectation that these start to happen in game. And technical execution, right? It's just, you know, people, Correct. I think I think one of the, best things that happened during COVID was the comfort of these digital activations is, you know, typically agencies, brands don't want to be innovative because it's risky, right? If I put a bunch of dollars towards something that is unproven and it doesn't prove out to be beneficial, I could lose my job, right? And so my agency friends will tell you all day and all night, like they pitch to these brands, let's do this thing. This is cool. This new technology. And they're like, no, let's do the same thing we did last time because there's a reliable ROI around that. Right. Well, during COVID, when you couldn't do these traditional marketing activities, people were pushed into digital. Some jumped in just to learn. Some jumped in saying, let's be first movers. Right. Some held their dollars. And if you held your dollars, you're seeing the case studies from your competitors who are now a step ahead. And so it's a tremendously exciting time how people become so much more comfortable. Technology has evolved. But now with live events coming back into the fold, you now have both that are more powerful together than apart. I totally agree. I think brands are going to be are going to hop on board. this. They already are. They already are, particularly in the metaverse. And they're going to do some really exciting stuff there with some expertise out of folks like the, the you know, the, the you mentioned SLGs of the world. And, and I think 
games as brands themselves are really going to jump on this as well. It's an enormous amount of yeah, opportunity. And pairing the two together, that's the thing. They're not mutually exclusive. They were forced to be for a period of time. They're not mutually exclusive. We have artists who we've talked to and, and have reached out to us who are launching clothing brands, limited run clothing brands, right? Yeah. And what they want is to pair a digital asset yes. inside of a game with that. And that's really interesting because you have access to all this audience on the games side. You're delivering yeah. a really cool experience to them that's tied to something physical, which is unique. On the physical audience side, now you're driving people into the game as well and getting this thing that adds a lot more value to the to the physical item that you just purchased. I think particularly with emotes and particularly with fashion, there's a lot that can be done in this space. Yeah, that is absolutely my favorite tactic currently is to enable digital goods inside of a game paired with physical goods so that your digital and your physical identities can mesh and you can represent yourself both in game and IRL. And I, I just love it when brands do, you know, Nike's doing a lot in that space, a lot of the other innovators. So look out for it. It's coming. Alex, before I let you go here, what are ways that people can get in touch with Stinger and you in the ways that you would like them to? You know, on our website, stinger.com, we have a field where if you're a video game and you're interested in getting music, an artist activation, and anything that we mentioned today, if you're interested in that, getting that in your game, go to the site, fill it out, hit us. Otherwise, we can always be reached. All of us are on the, on the LinkedIn's and on the socials, <laughs> but we're excited. We're starting to do a real hard ramp up of this. And what I'm going to, what I'm saying now confidently is that it's going to appear fun and new in Q4 and Q1 of next year. And by the end of 2023, it's going to be, it's going to start become expectation in terms of having these great experiences inside of games, both from the artist side and from the the gamer side, from the audience side. So I'm really excited, really excited over the next couple of years. And what is your website? So the audience can get in touch. Sure. www.stinger.com. S-T-Y-N-G-R. That's us. S-T-Y-N-G-R dot com. Perfect. So just a shout out to the publishers, to the artists, to the labels. Like you've heard Alex say, if you're not doing this now, expectation is coming soon. So get your feet wet, learn, be comfortable. So then when when your boss says, hey, where's that music metaverse plan? You're ready. You're like, hey, man. I know, Alex. We're ready to go. So thank you so much, Alex, for joining me. I've learned so much through our conversations, both on stage and now on the podcast. And I really think this is really going to be a valuable asset to our audience. So thank you for being here and thank you for all you're doing in the space. Thank you so much, John. I love talking with you. Thanks for having me on. It was great. All right. We'll do it again soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.